Welcome back to KafaroCast, everybody. I got Aaron across the table from me. We got a special guest here today, the one and only Dennis Zadra of Lonesome Dove Outfitters. We're going to be uh, going on a goat hunt with him here coming up this year in mid-September, so we're pretty excited. And welcome to the podcast. Welcome oh. back, I should say. Oh, very good. Thank you. Yeah, Frank skipped out on the first one. For those who don't remember, he was in <laughs> Estes Park with his girlfriend on the first go-round. <laughs> we, uh, but we... We, uh, we got a lot of questions uh, about gear, so that's what we're going to cover today. And uh, do you have, or should I, do you have your gear list or what you send out? I got a little pamphlet thingy with that. Um, yeah, I do have my gear list, and as I'm reading over it, I realize it's been quite some time since I've revised <laughs> my gear list. So um, I'm making notes. Uh, you know, I basically wrote this thing, shoot, about 25 years ago, um, and it's been modified somewhat, but... Um, you know, it really doesn't take into account the newer stuff and everything that's being, uh, that's being manufactured and made today. And, you know, technology has come a long way. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll give you my take on some of the more antiquated stuff that we use. What, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, we were just talking before the podcast and, um, you're probably kind of a lot like me. If it, if it's not broke, you don't <laughs> fix it or you don't upgrade it. And you know, there's so many progressions in, 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 uh, technology as far as gear goes that, we were just talking about a few things. You're like, oh, shit, I have to take a look at that. But I'm about along the same lines. If something's working for me, I'm probably sticking with it for a while. Yeah, that for sure has been the, the case. You know, you get it you get it narrowed down and pretty simple. And um, then, of course, everybody comes up and sees what you're using. And it's okay. This works for me. But, um, yeah, it's kind of kept me out of, you know, testing the new stuff. Mm -hmm. Our stuff, that definitely works. It's It's been tested um, uh, extensively. But... Uh, some of the new stuff that's probably lighter and uh, maybe a little more comfortable probably does to, works just as well. What uh, what would you say is the failure, the biggest failures of gear up there? Because where you're at, from what I understand, is horrible terrain and horrible rain. But what do you see fail on the most, both for your clients and your you know yourself personally and your guides? What do you, what do you see break or or fail? Um, the, the biggest all round thing is the rain gear, you know, um, stuff that's going to keep you dry here in Colorado and, you know, a little afternoon thunder shower or whatever, it doesn't cut it up there. You know, you're going to have, you know, three or four days of uh, steady rain and, you know, uh, it, Gore-Tex is going to be leaking after two days and you just can't get around that. Um, but you know, that's the, that's probably the biggest thing that, that, uh, uh, is a consistent failure, you know, do not skimp on your rain gear, but, um, you know, individual failure things, um, or, uh, broken trekking poles, you know, I, we have, you know, heavy climbing axes that we use and they're basically walking sticks, but guys will bring their lightweight trekking poles and, you know, they do work, but boy, when you've got a heavy pack and you're coming downhill and you misstep or whatever and you need to really lean on that pole to keep on your feet or you keep your balance <laughs> and they, that snaps you know now your pole's broken now you don't have anything else of course we can always go cut you an alder stick or something <laughs> but yeah uh, um yeah the the aluminum the uh, you know taller uh climbing ice axes are just excellent are you running those tall like uh black diamond or petzels or what are you guys running actually um you know, uh, you used to be able to get the black diamonds and then the, I guess it's Grivel, Mont Blanc or whatever. The they stopped making the long Grivel. I took Patrick's that long one. I stole yeah. it from him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they used to make them 100, 110 centimeters and those are just right. And then there's so few people doing that. The longest one, I think Black Diamond makes a 90 centimeter. I think it's called a Raven, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was just 
but they're too short. You know, if you're climbing up and actually using them in the ice, they're great, but not for a climbing stick. So I bought a bunch of, uh, I think it was the Raven Black Diamonds, and then we just pulled the heads and the and the tips off, and then I went to the welding shop and. They just cut chunks of <laughs> three-quarter-inch aluminum in Alaska. <laughs> tubing, you know. They are stout, you know, they're, they're, and then they're as long as you want. But they're heavy and they're noisy, you know. You clang a rock with it, it's like ringing a bell. But, uh, um, yeah, it's it's been a real challenge to find climbing axes that are long enough. Yeah, because I, I use that Stubai, and you were talking about you have problems the, where they telescope out, they break, and the Stubai's handle is longer, but you still have the the weaker portion obviously hanging out. I ha- I've bent it a few times and bent it back. I haven't broke it yet. So I told him, I said, I'll probably break it this year and be calling him saying, you fucker, you jinxed me. But uh, <laughs> the uh, what about boots? Do you guys get much for, le- I mean, what do you suggest and how often do you see guys, you know, boots leaking like a sieve? Oh yeah, it's the boots leaking, but then a lot of it is just, you know, the boots not holding up and, you know, the sides of them blowing out. Um, you know, they make a bunch of really good boots. We've been most of my guys and I wear the Koflash, you know, the plastic mountaineering boots, but they they don't make those anymore. So, um, a solo makes some and there, you know, there's some that are close and, uh, you know, back in the, you know, nineties and two thousands, that's what all the sheep hunters and, and everybody used and they're great. But I, if, unless you're doing this stuff for, you know, uh, a four month or a four week season or something. Uh, I don't ever recommend getting a pair of Koflash boots to do one goat hunt. It's like walking around in a pair of ski boots and they're <laughs> miserable. <laughs> they're used I've seen them. I haven't used them. No. They're weird when you first... They are comfy. I will say oh, yeah. they are comfy. Yeah. You, there's just they no, remind me of no a Stormtrooper boot. Like I should have a white suit and a gun when I put them on. That might help. Oh, Does yeah. that help for goat hunting? Wearing a white suit? Because I've seen it on t- I've seen it on TV. I don't know if it works. <laughs> you guys ever do that shit? We that? we have an occasion, and I've got to say there were times that it does work, but. Um, goats aren't that stupid and you don't just put on a white suit and they come running over to go see their buddy or whatever they it definitely distracts them but where we have done it and we've done it with our bow hunters is uh you know you get a goat that's bedded down and i'll stay down out of sight you know three four hundred yards away and then the, you send your, your archer to go up and he goes and he sneaks up and you know if he gets a chance to shoot that goat or whatever but you'll you'll watch that goat and sooner or later you know he wins something or he hears something and he's a little nervous and the guy's getting his stock, and maybe I can see him or maybe I can't. But as soon as that goat gets up and he's looking around, I get out with that white suit. And then all of a sudden, that his attention is distracted. He's down there looking at me, and several times it has given the, the hunter the opportunity to move into where he can make that shot, and especially make the shot at a goat that's not looking at him. So just out of curiosity, after watching a few videos, how far can I be away from a guide up there legally? Um, you know, they, it's not a distance thing. You just got, you've got to be, you know, uh, the ability to communicate, okay, I guess. I'm leaving his ass behind then. Cause I'm, yeah, yeah it's hard with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> like I watched it. It's just different with a compound. Cause oh, yeah. runs out at 60. You can shoot it where Frank's seen. I, I got to get to 20. So I'm basically fucking naked, right? I'm pants oh, and, rolled up and socks and everything else. And for sure. And that's, you know, once you have made the decision of the goat that you're going to get and all, we don't want to be there with you. You yeah. know, all, it, it, you're not going to gain anything by having two guys sneaking up there to look at him again. Um, and it, like I said, it works better to have your guide or your pack or whatever somewhere far, further off because you're going to be in a spot where you'll you'll stick that goat um, and he's going to bail off a off a off a ledge or the hill yeah. that he's on. You, you're probably going to lose sight of him, you know, within seconds after you shoot. 
and then you can run up and look. But it's really good if the if the guys are down there below and they're sitting there watching and they can keep track and you know just wave you down and say hey no he's he's down or he's bedded down just let him lay you know don't yeah. so that works good but no we we unless the guy's uncomfortable we don't want to be with you when you're doing that final stalk like with the not to get the subject of the gear too much but with like the rain or what like you talk about usually you guys got to get rained out probably at least a couple of days each hunt, I would think. I mean, on average, anyway. You said last year you had the nicest weather in the history of Alaska, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. God, I hope we have yeah. that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it was insane. Um, you know, and you just keep looking over your shoulder. And we paid for it in October. You know, fortunately, we were pretty much done with our season, but October made up for it. But yeah, um, you know, usually these hunts, once you get into spike camp, um, whether it's a bow or a rifle, they're done in one or two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the main thing is just get up there and get your good days. You know, we book them for six days, so you do have days with the weather. Um, but, yeah, you're going to deal with it at one, one point or another. But uh, How um, far are you generally hiking in? Um, it's A lot of times it's amazing. You'll set a waypoint at base camp and you'll set a waypoint at spike camp and you hike for six hours and you get up there. And you're less than a mile away from base camp, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as the crow flies. But it's just the terrain and how you have to circumnavigate to get up there. So yeah. um, we don't really ever calculate it in, uh, you know, really distance. It's all about time. Some of our spike camps are, you know, two and a half hours to get into. Some are um, literally nine hours to get into. Yeah, I talked to Jake a little bit, and he's like, he just said, he goes, it wasn't as bad as people make it out to be jake downs or whatever right. he it, but he's in shape you know right. what i mean he was like yeah it wasn't that bad man and he he was he was i think he you guys got him on three or four before he got I, one didn't you? yeah i think it was i think it was four i wasn't i wasn't guiding him of course but uh yeah i was i was tickled and i i, I think they had a weather day where they they might have stayed in base camp uh for one day and maybe even up in spike camp but uh yeah you know, the biggest thing is, is you just don't, don't push it and yeah. you know, your comfort's everything. Once you get up there and you get into spike camp, you have no external heat source yeah. to warm up and to dry out. And you know, if you decide you're going to go out when it's pouring rain, you're going to come back, you're soaked and all you can do is crawl into your sleeping bag and keep one dry set of long johns that you sleep in. But the next day you got to put on that wet shit and yeah. go back out and that gets tough to do. Yeah, I'm not down for that. I don't <laughs> like being wet. At uh, BC is the only, and I lived in Oregon and hunted Washington and same type of thing, right? It rained a lot, but right. BC, there was, I mean, on that, we got lucky on the grizzly hunt because it snowed instead of rain, which snow for me is a hell of a lot easier to deal with than, than rain. Oh, sure. Um, but like, uh, if we didn't get to come back and dry our crap out every night in the cabin, we would have been bad shape right because we had a oh, fire yeah. and of course my boots shrunk a full size because drying out by the fire but um yep. what uh, optics wise what do you guys generally run and do you do you do you suggest for guys to bring at least binoculars but but maybe not a spotting scope or yeah w- everybody should bring binoculars i use swarovski but you know um we're all using uh you know, either Zeiss, a couple of my guys have Leica and all, but you know, you, uh, mainly you, you get the high quality stuff for the waterproof part. And I have shipped my Swarovskis off my binoculars probably three times to, you know, they get wet eventually and get fogged in and they're, they're, you know, 15 years old too. But, uh, um, there's no reason to bring a spot and scope, you know, and you realize once you're in base camp and you're getting ready to go up the mountain, you can bring whatever you want into base camp. We're flying beavers and, you know, big airplanes. And so that's, 
that gear restriction isn't there. But, you know, you look at where you're going and all of a sudden it's like, man, I, do I really need that? <laughs> a lot of guys are worried, especially bow hunters are worried that they might want to, uh, about the bears. And yeah. so they'll bring a pistol. You yeah, know, fuck it's like, that. <laughs> don't think you're, I'm not going to tell you you can't do it, but I think about halfway up that mountain, you're going to want to throw that thing right off the, off the cliff because it's absolutely, there's no reason to have it. And, and the weight thing is just what's really important. And no matter what kind of condition you're in, you know, the lighter you go, the better you're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, gators wise, I would imagine you guys are, I mean, we, we wear outdoor research crocs, crocodile gators. Okay. Um, but I know a lot of guys like Kinetrex, things like, what have you guys found that you, works best? Or um, you you shredding them every year. That is it. We use the <laughs> outdoor research. Um, I've, I've got a pair of Kuyu currently. And, um, you know, so we have that. A lot of guys will bring up their own. But uh, when you we wear those black diamond crampons and all, which are excellent for keeping you on your feet. And, but, you know, walking up to that train, it's not like you're climbing up an ice field or something where you can really control your feet. You know, you're in the brush inevitably you are going to catch the side of your leg and that's why we wear the gaiters so you're not tearing your rain pants but you know pretty much every year we just shred the heck out of the gaiters and so it's so it's no sense in buying an expensive pair you yeah. know it's just a kind of a disposable thing but the main thing it does you know it does help keep stuff out of your boots but mainly keeps your pant leg tied in so you're not gonna tear it up with your crampons yeah yeah we'll go over some of your other lists here we'll start kind of go through step by step and and what you think you might Look, Frank and I get a lot of free gear, so we may be able to chime in on some stuff, but uh, kind of go through what you suggest for people to bring as well as what you have. Um, you know, I guess, uh, of course, your pack backpack is, is super important and kind of the standard for years and years up in Alaska is the Barney's pack, you know, and it's just a, a freighter frame with a big bag on it and... Um, you know, good fabric, but not waterproof fabric. You need to always have a pack cover and all that for the rain. But you could just literally, you know, stuff the world into that thing as much as you ever wanted to carry. Um, you know, there's definitely been improvements and stuff with that. Um, you know, of course, everybody needs to bring their own sleeping bag. And, you know, I always was no down, no down. And I've used the older down bags and they get wet and, you know, they just clump up. They're very miserable. But some of this newer hydrophobic down stuff is just is fantastic, and so I've seen what the guys have brought up, and you know it packs to a third of the size of of my Wiggy's bag is what I usually pack, and um, you know that that bag, and it's an excellent bag. They say that's what the you know the Coast Guard uses in their helicopter and all, and uh, and the, like I said, I I love the Wiggy's bag, but it literally takes up a third of my pack. It's just so bulky. Oh yeah, and and he he actually hates us. Um, those bags. Uh, I th I think if I'm not mistaken, it's four pounds and probably takes up the bottom third of your pack. I Absolutely, think. yes. Yeah. They're but they are durable. I mean, they are very durable, oh, yeah. and you can get them soaking wet. Um, he he doesn't like us because we sell sleeping bags. Um, <laughs> and he's a weird guy. And if you're listening, I still don't like you. Um, <laughs> but uh, the 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 thing that people again. We talked about this before. If you hunt in Colorado, you deal with altitude. That's your ass kicker, right? And right. you don't really deal with rain very much, and, and or snow in the later seasons. And you're you're in, let's say, North Idaho. You're dealing with deadfall and and uh, and rain, or you know whatever. But you don't you're you know you're not dealing with altitude, and you're not dealing right. with your roads everywhere. Where you guys are really dealing with with just god awful terrain and rain. So long term durability is. I would imagine. I mean, how often are you buying new tents? 
Oh, yeah. Or, you know, we cycle through our spike tents probably, again, every two years. Yeah. Yeah, we had some this year that didn't even make it in one season. And, again, we, you know, haven't been buying the expensive ones just because it's like, well, they get torn up uh, so much. But uh, and it comes down to your to your guys. You know, some of my guys are a little tougher on equipment than others. And, you know, uh, hey, that's that's just part of it. Yeah, we have uh, Dana brought us kombucha and peanut butter bars. Thanks, Dana. Thank you, Dana. Um, <laughs> the when you talk with the uh, the spike camps and the base camp, are you just saying in a wall tent down at base camp? Um, yeah, it's not a wall tent. Um, I may have mentioned it last time. We we used the uh, Cabela's XWT. It's extreme weather tents, um, and used those for years, and they are just were fantastic. And literally had those things up in you know 100 mile an hour winds and and you know if they're guide out properly and all that they they definitely uh they do the job but they've been discontinued and um you know trying to find something to uh to replace them but anyway it's it's a bigger tent it's you've got a cot you've got a lantern um we have you know stoves in the one the guide's tent and so you've got this external heat source and when you come back you can dry your clothes out and your socks and everything but um, as I mentioned, once you get up in spike camp, you got a little stove that's used to boil some water and eat some mountain house food, but you know, that's not, you don't use that for heat or anything. And so you, you will not, everything that's wet will not dry out. And so it's a constant battle <laughs> to just stay as dry as possible. And then, of course, if it's not raining and you have a sunny day, you know, you take your rain gear off, you let your stuff air out and dry out. But, uh, the last thing you do when you wake up in the morning, it's like, oh boy, it looks pretty, it looks a pretty nice day. I think I'm on drape my sleeping bag over this brush here and uh, <laughs> go up and hunt, let it air out a little bit. And then, you know, three hours later, it's just pouring rain. And it's like, well, that was a bad move. So some of the things you just don't do, but that's the biggest thing is just the constant battle to stay dry. We just talked about um, keeping your feathers dry for the trad hunters. What What's your plan, Aaron, and what, what have your hunters done in the past? Well, I have a plan. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> so... I may end up having to shoot off an elevated rest with veins, and so I don't bring feathers or potentially anyway. And and I've talked to Tyler Friel. You met him while you were here, um, big right. kid, up in Fairbanks, and talked to Harold. And a lot of those guys run an elevated rest and just veins. I may do that. I I also I've been spraying Scotchgard on. Um, it's like an industrial strength spray that'll help it last longer, and then try a Ziploc bag. That the last thing I want to do. Let's try something, be on top of a 50-inch goat at, let's say, a farther shot for a stick, 36 yards, which is well within my range, have matted down feathers and a pissed-off guide because I f- missed by three feet because my shit's wet. So I have a plan, which is probably going to be shooting veins, but if that doesn't work out, I'm going to shoot feathers and just spray them down. And I'm going to carry an arrow tube with extra arrows up the mountain and try and keep those dry. But what uh, what do you do? You have very many trad hunters that come in. Not a lot, um, you know. Offhand, I can guess. Not counting Jake, uh, the guys I've I think I've guided personally three of them. Um, one being it was Tom Miranda many years back, and he was shooting feathers, but he had he had some kind of powder. I don't know what it was. I got that too, and um, that was pretty yeah. darn effective. Well, shit. Balls. I've ordered three containers of it just to try. Um, it's from Gateway. 
Yeah. It's like a crystallized lightweight powder you spin your shit in and Yeah. And yeah. I you know, I didn't get it, but he had also fletching covers. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't like put that on and uh but I had one guy that it, did absolutely nothing and it you know within the first half a day his feathers were just right on the shaft and he had the opportunity really nice 20 yard opportunity at a, at a goat and eventually wound up getting that goat but um first shot was just dead right in the butt you know and did you have to break out the boomstick or no <laughs> we uh <laughs> we, he, we was in a position where we could go and he wound up i think by the time it was done the six arrows had been put into that that Sweet poor baby Jesus, yeah. And uh, um, yeah, it eventually <laughs> died. But yeah, it just, that was a total gear failure there. And then a lot of just um, not, yeah, he, he he was quite accomplished in the country with that that he hunted. Yeah. But he was not really prepared and didn't have the right stuff up kicked. there. Oh, for You're sure. You're being very polite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jake had told me that your area is extremely conducive to stick bow hunting. Um, right. In his opinion, or at least where you took him. Yep. It's very cliffy, said terraced and rocks. He said there's probably occasionally you get one you just can't get with anything but a gun. But he said as far as stick bows go, there's a lot of spots from his limited experience that was really good for you know sneaking up behind them and getting a closer shot oh yeah and again it's it just comes down to the caliber of the archer you know the guys that do it and are used to that you know they know how to how to read an animal and how to make it work um and so that you know that really takes the pressure off us if all i got to do is get you within 400 yards it's like okay there he is you figure it out i'm gonna stay down here and watch <laughs> what happens you know it's yeah it, it it really does take the pressure off but uh but yeah, and the biggest thing is you go up there, you're, you're trying to be as unobtrusive as possible. And, you know, because you might booger that one up there you're going after, but there's another one over there. But, you know, don't let him know what's going on because, you know, he's going to be your next stock. And so, um, you know, the whole wearing white suits that a lot of guys do, and I know there's guys that are effective with it, but boy, as soon as you step up there, you're just advertising to everyone, like, hey, you know, something's here. And, yeah. you know, they're pulling their attention right down on top of you, you know. What's your, totally not on gear, and we talked about this last time. What's your average goat size, would you say? Maybe not necessarily inches, but I mean um, age class. Like, what are you guys taking out of there? Um, you know, I would say average is six to eight. You know, every now and then you, we wind up getting a four-year-old, which, and, and some of our four-year-olds are over nine inches, you know. Yeah. And, and in fact, a, you know, a four-year-old goat with nine and a half inch horns looks a hell of a lot bigger in, in uh uh, in body size or in proportion to a, you know, an eight-year-old goat with 10-inch horns. Yeah. You know? It can get confusing. It does for me. Really got to look at the head and, you know, little head, like a, a goat with good genetics with a short head looks giant compared to an older goat with a long head and average genetics. You get confused pretty quick if you haven't seen a lot of them. And I'm sure you probably run into that sometimes, but. Oh yeah. And in the, I go far more by body size, mm -hmm. you know, but you know, when, when you see three of them together, it's real easy to pick which one's the biggest one. But when you see one here and then 400 yards, another one, and um, that's where they where it gets hard looking at each one individually. And that's when you have to pick them apart with the scope and look at body characteristics, facial characteristics, and and so much too is just how they're moving. You know, anything old moves slow. <laughs> you know, they're just yeah. deliberate. Oh yeah. How um on the uh, back on the gear or whatever. How what like packing in food or whatever. What are you guys doing as far as um just one cook stove for for the guide packs it in or one for how do you guys usually do that? 
yeah, we just take one one cook stove, whether it's an MSR or um, some guys now are do using the jet boils. But uh, you know, we just got lightweight MSRs and and gas. Um, there, you get more uh, BTUs out of, of out of Coleman fuel than you do out of the out of the butane, and plus you're not packing that extra weight of the container. Um, so that seems to be the best, but that, then they're just one, it's just a, like a aluminum or stainless steel pot. You boil water and everybody has a, a plastic or a, a um, cup and a Kevlar spoon and, uh, and that's it. You eat your freeze dried right out of the bag. You pour your hot chocolate and, or your cider or whatever, or coffee in the, in the cup and boil water, but that's it. You know, um, lunches we do have, you know, we will take some protein bars and, uh, fruit snacks, um you know, maybe some a jerky and, and all that, but it's not like everybody stops and makes a sandwich for lunch. Gotcha. Yeah. Who, yeah. I may be packing, I eat like a horse, so I may be packing, <laughs> so sending up some extra food. You're going to need an extra package oh, yeah, just for no, food. I, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we always have plenty. It's, but that's the trade-off. It's like you look up and, you know, take lots of food in base camp and all, but usually, you know, you go up the mountain with three days, maybe four days, depending on the weather. Um, if you wind up running out, that's why you have a packer. It's like, well, you know, you're not going hunting today. You're going to go back down and get some more food. Yeah. No, no, I gotcha. I, uh, with, uh, when I went on the bear hunt with NBC where we backpacked in and they didn't know me, right, or whatever. And right. I packed a lot of food and they were like, can you, can you make it? And I was like, I know it looks like a lot, but I promise I do this all the time. Don't worry, I'll be fine. But I was used to carrying, you know what I mean? I yeah. got to carry that much food all the time. But Bart in the middle of the goat hunt was like, you guys have got to stop eating. Like I didn't bring enough food. He goes, I did not realize when, how much you guys eat? Because I was eating like six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a day. Oh wow! And he was, <laughs> he was like, Jesus, dude, what do you? And I was making triples and uh, like bread, peanut butter jelly, bread, peanut butter jelly, and uh, I I don't have to eat like that all the time. But at a certain point, Brian was eating like that too. He's like, Good God! Now I don't eat like that when I pack in because he can only carry so much. But right. it uh, it's amazing though too. Like if you only go. If you go in and you're not, well, the problem we have here is you, the altitude, right? And, the, uh, yeah. you know, each stock is probably a gain and loss of a couple thousand feet. Yep. And dep- I don't know what it's like where you're at. You're just burning more calories. So I'm, I'm eating more. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, I've never been up where you're at. So I don't know how much get altitude you're gaining and losing. But here it sucks on mule deer and goats is even worse because you got the same, but it's at 13,000 feet where you guys are what? How? 35? Yeah, 30. We very seldom break 3,500 feet. And so that is the beauty of it. Um, The train is is definitely more steep. But, you know, I know which because I did that. I hunted, you know, the high country here in Colorado and you covered so much more ground and that was it. You know, you you might have a, you know, 5,000 foot elevation gain and drop in a day with all the stocks. And, you know, that wipes you out at twelve or 13,000 feet. Yeah. Um, Doesn't rain for three weeks, but no. yeah, no altitude. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, once you kind of get to a level where we're hunting these goats, it's not like, well, we got to drop down this valley and up the other side. You typically stay on the same ridge or the same you know, same spot. And there's, you, you might have to lose a thousand feet to, to, you know, round a, a mountain or something to get back uh, above a goat or, but it's, you, you're generally not doing the elevation, uh, gain and drop that you would down here. And of course you're not doing it at, at, the, at 13,000 feet. It sucks up high. I mean, I don't know what's worse. I would pick altitude over rain. I'm not a fan of rain. Um, you know what I mean? Dealing with it, but It'll be interesting because, like, I've done a couple hunts, like it sounds like where you guys, where it's steeper in the back of Christ's head. 
It's Devil's Club, Stinging Nettle, Tag Alders for the first two miles, three. You're so effed up. By the time you get to tree line, you got to just sit there and thank God you made it before you finish out your, you know, your your day's hike. And, and again, like you said, it could take you five hours to go a mile because you're going through so much crap. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, you you don't just walk straight up the mountain. You have to figure out, you know, what routes and you got to work around cliffs and bluffs and all that. So, you know, that's just part of it. But uh and that's the whole thing with the spike camp. You know, once you're there, you're done with that. You know, you are up in the Alpine and it gets a lot easier. There is still steep and all, but you're done with the brush. Um, you know, you're typically done with the crampons for the most part at that time. We still carry them, but, you know, you usually don't have them on. And then, you know, you're not carrying all your stuff. You're not carrying yeah. your sleeping bag, your pack slight. And, um, yeah, that's, that's when the, that's when the hunt happens. Yeah. Have you, you've never really messed with that stuff yet, have no. you? No. It sucks The balls, worst underbrush man. I've had was Idaho. Yeah. I hate underbrush. I'm not going to lie. I get made fun of about it. It sucks. I don't, oh. there's no way around it. I don't know why anybody like it. When I came from Colorado, <laughs> of course, that out of I panic went up attack. there, that was the <laughs> hardest thing for me to get used to. It was just like all of this vast country and there's no roads and it's like, man, it's the sky's the limit. And you start traveling through it and you're either up to your waist in a bog or you're climbing up the side of a hill, grabbing a thorny bush everywhere. And it just, it's endless. You know, here you get in a willow patch or an oak brush and, you know, you might have to fight through that for a little while. But you break through and you're out there. You never break through. You just keep <laughs> going. And, you know, and that's why most of the places we do go, we've, we've been up there and we've cut, a, you know, some trails. And it, you don't have to cut a lot. A couple alders here and there makes it a lot better. But you're going to deal with brush and you're going to hate brush. Yeah, the Washington the goat hunt, whatever, on, on Baker or whatever is the same. Uh, I remember coming down, we, you know, whatever, off trail, right? And, and uh, anyway, it was going smooth, right? And. James kept saying over and over, we're about to get fucked. This is not good. Like, eventually, it never goes this smooth. And then that's when we got stuck on the other side of a gorge and ended up taking three hours to go about a half mile and deadfall the size of yep. cars. Yeah, and not good. Yeah, that, I didn't like it. The policy is, especially <laughs> when you have weight on your back, stick with what you know. <laughs> it is so tempting to take a shortcut. And I think we can go around this and avoid this big circle that we have to make and invariably you are, you're going to hit a uh, cliff or you're going to hit a gorge and you're going to wind up carrying all that stuff back up right to where you were. Yeah, that's not good. But all right, so let's move on to the next gear portion. I don't want to think about underbrush. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, and then I guess the other important part is just the clothes you bring. You know, your rain gear is super important and it's always a trade-off with how much do you want to take, you know, versus the weight and how comfortable you want to be. And again, that's totally relevant or depends on what the weather's doing. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you're going to be wet. And, um, you know, I'll typically take usually like three sets of long johns, Mm -hmm. maybe four pair of socks. Um, I'll take socks in my pack. And, you know, as you're hiking and your feet are getting wet, just take out, even if it's not raining, take, take off your wet socks, take your boots off, let your feet air off, put on your dry socks hang your wet socks on the back of your pack and let them dry out. That just, boy, really keeps your feet healthy. But once once you get wet, then you're going to be wet from sweat. You know, you're not going to dry off. And I always leave one pair of long johns that are completely dry, stuffed inside my sleeping bag in the tent. And I usually pack my sleeping bag every morning when we get up just to put it in the stuff sack. It hasn't happened very often, but it has happened where we come back and a bear had found our tent. And 
you know, kind of tears everything up and generally not to the point where you can't get in there. But if your sleeping bag is stuffed, he's, he might roll it around or mess with it a little bit, but he's not going to get it out and, and it's not going to be out in the rain. And uh, that way you do have something dry to come back to because that is your shelter right there is, is that warm, dry sleeping bag. So you take off, you eat dinner and uh, have your cup of coffee or whatever, take off your wet clothes, put on your dry clothes, slip, crawl in your bag, have a good night's sleep, get up in the morning, and you look at that pile of wet clothes and it is cold and you're cold. <laughs> you know, you attempt, it's like, man, I'm going to just keep these dry ones on. And you do that and now every set you have is wet and you come back and, you know, crawling into a sleeping bag with wet clothes and especially if it's not a good bag, that's when you do start getting hypothermia and, you know, you just can't warm up. So you got to put the wet clothes on, you got to take off up the mountain and, you know, as soon as you start hiking, the heat's in the hill, so it, you warm up right away. But uh, Yeah, as I say, when that happens with me and the times, I'm like, hey, let's go, let's go. They're like, what in uh, a hurry? I'm like, I'm freezing my balls off. I got to keep my body warm. That's a fact. <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing Barclow talks about. Barclow, he works with Sitka's, uh, you know, movement is life, he always says. And right. it is very true, like, especially I lose feeling in my hands and my feet when it's super cold, and I just got to move. So I'll do yep. push-ups. I mean, like, if we're on a glassing or whatever, I'll just flip over and knock out 50 to 100 push-ups to get the body warmed up rather than sit there static to where my core gets so cold I can't heat back up. So I'm always trying to do something. Oh, yeah, and that that's it. And most of the time, you know, unless you are uh, just hunkered down waiting for a goat that's laying there to get up and move, you know, you generally are moving. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's that, but that's the trade-off, too. You know, you're hiking, 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 and you get up on a ridge, and there's your goat, but it's not in the situation you got to sit there and wait. And so you back off, but the wind's blowing, and it the it's sucking the moisture out of you or the heat out of you so fast. And the first thing I do once you get there and you realize, oh, we're going to have to sit this out, is put everything on, put your down jacket or whatever. <laughs> and you're thinking, I'm sweating. Why am I doing that? But you want to re- retain as much of that heat as you can and then put your raincoat on and put your, your stocking cap on and try to keep it. Because it's just a matter of minutes that all of a sudden that heat's been dissipated and then you're wet and you're sitting there and just shivering. Yeah, we went over that with Amy, remember, when we were, I, uh, she's a little hard-headed sometimes. And yeah. I said, and, and I, uh, Barclow and I, something we argued about, he keeps his base layer on. Um, generally, weather permitting, obviously it's raining, I don't pull it off, but if it's semi-dry, I pull the base layer off and I put my other dry base layer on and I leave the one I had on to, to dry, right, where right. I'm sitting. And then I load up my clothes and I, Amy, when she was so hot when we first got there, I'm like, hey, get that off and put your put your clothes on. I'm warm. And I'm like, well, you, you won't be in a minute. And then, what was it, five minutes, she was shivering like a, I mean, you know, she just got cold because oh, everything's yeah. wet. And uh, you just don't realize it because your core temperature is up, so you just don't know. But I'm probably worse than you. I get, I don't know, I probably get colder than you quicker, I would think. Yeah. But yeah. like he's saying, I, I do about the same thing. I always throw my, as soon as we stop to glass or stop to do anything, really, I always throw my puffy jacket on. Yeah. Regardless of how hot I am to keep that that temperature yeah heat retained yeah. oh no absolutely do you you suggest guys to wear merino ever or try to stick with synthetic for the most part for their like fleece layers and base layer and stuff um i've had guys come up with the merino and it's excellent you know it's heavier but it, it is true we'll we'll keep you warm when it's wet um and so it you know it's all just your, your personal preference but the i've and i used it for quite a few years but i got away from it just again because it's so heavy and the newer stuff is pretty much does the same but uh doesn't weigh nearly as much gotcha gotcha what else on on clothing wise like uh so for me i always uh, you know always have a thick stocking cap i generally wear that to bed yep. and it's also like a glassing cap too um sometimes i'll carry a fairly lightweight 
a windbreaker um, stocking cap for when I'm moving. It's I know it's kind of weird because I try to keep head warm, body warm type of thing. So even when I'm stocking, I'll keep a beanie hat on. It may not be my thick beanie hat, but I'll have one. It's just a little bit better than a baseball hat. But one thing we started doing is everything we have is we have our hoods on constantly. So yeah. you, you have those scuba hoods. And so whatever whatever we've got, we keep that scuba hood on constantly on stocks or whether we're glassing. And, and I started that a little bit more, but... Um, do you like what do you wear for clothing like or what what do you like you personally what are you bringing up there normally um i typically wear i uh, wear like a, a a union suit is what i like you know um one piece uh base layer um old school yeah and <laughs> they're, they're pretty sexy you know but the nice thing a photo ab- for us. <laughs> about it is they you know you don't have this 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 line between your pants and your shirt that you know might lift up or whatever i just got used to it and i like it but that's just me personally um but that stays on all the time and then I'm, very I stuff can't get over the it thought of you in a union suit out of my head now i'm not gonna lie oh. is the thought like it's like red like a red union suit. <laughs> this, this green one. This is one I'm wearing right now. This green thing. Does it have a hole in the back for your body? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's <laughs> the, the flap is part of it. <laughs> you can't get around it. You just and you really learn how to make sure you know where that flap is when you're going. Cause, yeah, you don't <laughs> want to get dookie in the hole. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, sorry, I interrupted. Go yeah, ahead. we did digress. But no, um, just that. Um, uh, and then just a good pair of, of you know regular base layer pants. I I've been wearing the the Kuyu uh, the Chugash rain pants as my hunting pants, and that seems to work pretty good. Um, and I've got a pretty lightweight uh, down jacket that I you know p- put on underneath my rain gear for that. So um, and uh, again, like I said, I'll have probably two sets and the socks that I take up with me. Of the of the underlayer, um, I don't change my outer layer, um, but the, the the determinate factor for me is sweat. You know, when you're sweating, that's when it's time to take the hat off, or open your hood up, or do something. You know, because you 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 need to dissipate that heat. But at the same time, as soon as you stop, that's when to put it back on. You know, I have always been you know really perspire a lot so i get wet from sweat so i'm trying to dissipate as much heat as i can all the time which is not you know if you're walking up the hill and it's raining and you decide well i just got to take my hood off you will take on so much rain to the top of your head and you're much better off being wet from sweat than being wet from rain so you know when it's raining keep that hood on that is what's going to keep you dry um but you know it's all just common sense you know don't you don't uh, push it and make yourself get, you know, soaking wet from sweat. And when it's raining, do whatever it takes to keep it off you. You guys use a lot. Of, I would imagine I'm a, we carry those event dry sacks. We have camera gear and pretty much everything we have is in different, whether it's socks or we get away with a lot more here, but when it's wetter, um, and then, you know, we don't use a pack cover as much cause it just doesn't rain as much here, but when I'm in rainy areas, I usually do both. I have a pack cover and then everything within reason everything in my pack is also in a dry sack do you suggest that absolutely again once it gets wet and your binoculars are any of it no we do the exact same thing it's all in a as dry a bag which might even be a you know a, a trash bag mm-hmm. you know but that is inside your pack and then trying to keep your pack covered as much as possible but you know it's hard you're hiking up and your spot and scope is there and so you see a goat so you stop you got to take your cover off get your spot and scope out and i'll you know hopefully you remember to put the cover back on but it's crazy how 
little you have to be there without the scope on or with the cover on your pack and all of a sudden your pack is wet and not only is it wet but it's amazing how much weight they pick up just from that and again you know until you get a sunny day or you get back to base camp or back to town that stuff's not going to dry out that's one thing nice about these they're the materials waterproof um you know, but the stitch line's not. It's going to come through. I mean, what is that Pecker Wood said from New Zealand? In a proper rain. What? In a hard <laughs> in a, rain. <laughs> yeah, a in, proper rain. In a hard rain, which is true. It'll eventually come through the stitch lines. And you can seam seal those. But one thing that's nice is they don't hold water. The material will not hold water. Yeah. And I don't know what. I've never tried to quantify it. But I would assume five to seven pounds is what a pack will gain, a big pack will gain in water weight once it's impregnated or holding water it's pretty significant amount and it's hard to get the damn things dry um where these things they they just don't hold it which is nice oh yeah no i just here earlier i was looking at some of that stuff and um you know i've i've been satisfied with my barneys and so i haven't really shopped around but i'm looking at what you guys have here it's uh i'm pretty impressed i think that probably something we need to start looking at i think though for some we talked on the phone I, i think for some hunts um, it's definitely one that somebody's going to walk up and grab automatically. And then you talk about moose. It can't be argued that, that Barney's praying, and I've used them before, it's a lot of square footage on that thing. There's a lot of tie-off points. It's a giant, robust frame. So like moose quarters, I mean, we have guides that you carry our moose quarters and ours, but there is something to be said for that giant flatbed of a, of a frame to tie stuff to. But other hunts it's pretty hard especially like day hunting when you can flatten out your pack a little bit more it's a little more stealthy that it that the the barneys is more cumbersome so i mean there's a tool for every job and and uh that barneys this definitely is a tool for certain jobs it's just i think with ours it caters to a little bit different specific job i guess you could say oh yeah no i would agree a bunch and i you know what's what kind of what i've always used is a big old freight, freighter frame and you know i typically don't put the moose quarters in the pack, you know, we I just strap them on the backside, and they've got some pretty stout straps, you know, trying to put them in a, in a game bag and then maybe in a trash bag, that, you know, and keep as much blood out of the pack as possible. It's amazing how the end of the season, if you've been carrying a lot of meat and then that stuff is leaked into your pack, you, you walk into the warehouse or wherever that, and it just reeks. And, you know, of course, you take it to the car washer, pressure wash, and try to get that out. But, uh, yeah, try to keep the blood out of your pack as much as you can. Yeah, no, we um we have like OR dry sacks. It's just a big ass, it's a military grade dry sack, and that's usually what we'll carry like debone meat in or the capes or whatever. Right now, Frank, you've you've carried. Well, that's one thing nice. Those don't hold blood, so you just sprayed it off and it came out, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, because it was in the garage. It never smelled bad. Mm. Man, I had one. I carried like twenty some animals out one year. <laughs> Fuck me, it smelled. I mean, I couldn't oh, get yeah. it out. I yeah. mean, it was. Like, I took it, I put baking soda or whatever, and I'm like, you know, I just sold it to a buddy. He didn't seem to mind it much, but <laughs> I, uh, those, well, that's one thing nice with that is, is, uh, it doesn't hold, you can just hose it out. It doesn't hold the stink. Oh, yeah. Um, cause you carried your whole animal out without, yeah, I had a few, bag. a few animals in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually just rinse them out with the, with the hose with that fabric at least. Yeah, I know that that is super helpful. I, you know, the the Barneys, especially the older canvas style uh, material oh, was oh, it was heavy, and you know, you just couldn't get that stink out of it. I I used a Barney's frame once here, one for one year. You know, because you kind of go through the 
I had Arcteryx Bora that I wore that worked pretty good for a while, especially for lower 48 down here. And then I got a Barney's frame and it was fine for going in. It's just, it's overboard. And, and by the way, I love Barney Bob and Kevin Dana. You guys are awesome, but it's just a little overboard for lower 48 stuff for a lot of stuff here. Yeah, I agree. Um, but you know, like, uh, Clay, the guys up at NWT, you know, they, you know, he used a big frame pack for a while, and then, you know, they use the helicopters a lot, and then, like, on Tiburon, he's ventilation-wise, you know, or so they're not using them, you know, there as much, but he said the same thing that I do, you know, you you get a, a, a big, giant, you know, what a probably anywhere from 160 to 220 pound moose quarter, it is nice to have some square footage to strap that thing to. Oh, yeah, and I... You know, we used to carry the heavy weights, but I, I've learned now that it just, if, if it's, you got to stagger. Uh, my rule of thumb is if I can't put it on, if I can't put it on standing up, I shouldn't be carrying it. You know, if I got to lay on the ground and strap it and do that, it's, you know, maybe moose isn't so bad because, you know, you're just trudging through a bog. But, you know, when you're coming down out of goat country with 90 or 100 pounds on your back and, um, you know, all it takes is a, a little slip and, you know, you don't have to break a leg or, you know, just sprain an ankle and, you know, that guide or that packer's out for the rest of the season. So, you know, if you got to make two trips, make two trips. It's more enjoyable. We haven't hit that stage yet. We're still at the one <laughs> trip. Um, yeah. and I mean, not in a bragging thing because it is taking a toll on, on the body. Um, yeah, well, well. On, your, on your deer, we could have taken the trailer. We could have taken our shortcut. We have this shortcut in this spot we deer hunt and it's like straight down super steep it was kind of rainy it's shitty and on the way when we were getting to the shortcut we're like yeah we're going to take the trail and Aaron's like looking down i think i'm going to take the short truck i'll see you at the truck i'm like short trail i'll see you at the truck i'm like you son of a bitch it takes a lot so of I, time off <laughs> I, of course i followed him down there i fell probably four or five times and Mr. Mountain Goat over here didn't fall once. <laughs> I'm like, you, how the hell are you not falling? I got good balance, man. Thank God. But the one thing that Austin said is my tendons are so t- tight, I'm almost incapable of spraining an ankle. So that means when I go down, it's breaking. Like, yeah. But I, I have good balance with heavy weight. And I've always... I don't even want to say this. I'm going to break fucking leg on the goat hunt. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I keep hearing this. I don't know. We'll, we'll be real careful. Mm. But no, I, I, you, I, you're going to do just fine. It's just, you know, you can just tell. You can tell the guys that do this on a daily basis and all that. And then uh, versus the guys that maybe get a gym membership six months or three months or one month before their hunt. And, um, you know, that that's where the difference comes in. No, Clay and I talk about it all the time. He's funny because... Um, or Bart or who you know some of the different guys Brian Martin's another one or whatever he he at the risk of getting bashed here you have guys that that show up that do have a gym membership and a stair stepper is great in the winter right but it doesn't right. get you ready for the off camera it doesn't strengthen up your ankles for the off camera terrain uh, it doesn't get you ready for rolling boulders it doesn't get ready for a lot of stuff where uh, Frank and I here train year round and we scout and well we just don't like to be at work so we're in the woods all the time right. good for you and uh, it is it is good actually Frank loves it no <laughs> but uh I'm worried about people listening to the podcast and I'll be talking shit about here. It you can find out super quick in the first day, like in the first hour hiking in on a recent hunt I was on. We're all at the tree waiting, right? And this is flat ground, right? And uh, you know, we're the cats in the tree. We're waiting for these guys to come, and it's literally like. What the hell did you do to get ready? It's a cat hunt. This is flat ground, you know? And then you talk about sheep and goat hunts or whatever. It's like, you're going to die. And I, I feel horrible for you because you got to deal with that shit every day all year. 
Oh yeah, I know it's uh, it's it that's that's it. And and the thing is, is it's miserable for the for the hunter. You yeah. know, all, all of a sudden he's not there for a goat hunt or whatever. He is there just let's get this done, shoot <laughs> the first one I can get on, and end this misery. You know, and and it, you know it's disappointing. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's like you know, not everyone, of course, is going to be in your condition, and you know you don't have to be you don't have to be to that extreme level but you have to do something you know you can't just push in the desk chair and jump on the airplane and show up yeah well i mean it's different frank and i do it for a living right so i mean we Mm -hmm. have i mean out of boredom i don't i don't i don't go to the bar right i might as well go train but i think that uh, people would be a lot better off maybe skipping some crossfit and possibly putting a pack on their back and hauling ass around with 45 pounds on their back uh just to get used to that terrain and everything else because the chance of you flipping a tire is pretty slim the chance of you walking on a 35 degree slope on wet terrain with a 45 pound pack is pretty damn good um and i think that's probably what happens these days guys take up crossfit but they don't put a pack on well, they do, but the, you know, what I hear from so many of them, it's like, you know, they live in Michigan or they live in, uh, you know, Texas or just flat country. It's like, we don't, I, I don't have any mountains. I don't have, you know, they got a couple of little hills, but there's nowhere where they can go where you actually, you know, have to grab some brush to help pull you up the hill, which, um, so that is tough, but I agree 100%, put that pack on, put some weight in it and go for a hike. And, you know, another thing that we're getting back to the gear part that is so important that gets neglected is your bow or your rifle. You know, you're not going to have that in your hand as you're climbing up to that. It's got to be secured to your pack and you need to test that out. You know, you need to see how is this going to be. And, um, you know, I've had guys coming up, you know, with their bows and of course they got arrows in the quiver and stuff, but you know, you get up there and all of a sudden three arrows are gone, you know, (laughs) and typically now we, you know, it's the guide and then the hunter and then the packer. So if that kind of stuff happens or he's catching his sight, the packers kind of keeping eyes on that. But, um, you know, that is really important, a good secure safe place to keep your bow or your rifle on your pack while you're getting up i'm screwed i gotta carry mine you can't i can't it's too big other than that or put it together when i get up there i could do that i would do that yeah well i was going to ask you about that because that's easy to do and then i can put it in my pack because there's a few times where i've went through and i can keep my arrows in because there's these little bungee things where i bungee them on where they'll stay but it's you're beating the the feathers you're beating the fuck yeah. out of them coming through so no when yeah i'm not sure how they how jake did it uh, when he came up this last fall but yeah for sure you're gonna want to just keep that in your pack and put together you're not gonna you know bump a goat or something on on the way up and usually uh, quite often you're going up in the spike camp the day you fly in so you can't hunt that day anyway so um yeah i, I keep forgetting your your carrying oh, the longer bow wielding a 64 inch long bow it doesn't strap very easy on the back believe me it'll be folded in half by the time you get in there like the guy going through the door frame with something too wide yeah tell me me like wait guys wait but yeah that is one thing nice with the stick is an allen head and i can put it together up there on the side of the mountain which makes it easy so oh, perfect and yeah, assuming you carry spare strings and all that huh <laughs> yeah we just did a podcast on that like generally i carry enough to redo my bow like three times so if i broke three strings or two strings i got a third if my clicker which i don't have to have rips off i can put it back on three different times i've got i can reserve my bow three times um so all the problems that you could have i want to make sure the chance that happening on a three to five day hunt are pretty slim but like when frank were by we're back there for shit well about retired 14 14 days 
a lot of shit can happen. Oh, yeah. Well, I cut my string when I killed the deer because I fell on the deer. The deer fell on top of the bow, and then we both all slid it down the mountain. That cut the string. But that was the only real problem I had at that point. But, you know, thinking about it, I think what most of the guys that get cut is they shit their pants and hit it with their broadhead. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what I've seen. <laughs> yeah. You bet. No, you're excited and jittery and, you know, lining up and just touch that string with the broadhead, and there she goes. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of uh, broadheads, what – do you suggest a fixed blade or is it, is it, can you use either or in, in Alaska or what, what have you seen and what works best? Um, at this point you can use either or, um, the first experience I had with mechanicals was oh, absolutely shit. disastrous. <laughs> um, I could see in your eyes. <laughs> the guy was, you know, um, super good, super in shape, super good hunter, super good shot. And I don't know what kind of these broadheads, they kind of had the blades that folded forward and then a little rubber band that. Rocket, rocket. I guess I didn't know anything How about it. How many them. years ago was it? Two thousand two, three. Probably, probably two thousand one. Yeah. yeah, rockets. He, we, we found a really nice goal, but we got to get right up above him, and he literally was shooting um, almost right straight down on top of his back, and it was thirty some yard shot. Um, and he hit him a little far forward, but you know it wasn't good. It was out on one side of the spine, but you know that goat bailed out of there. And we watched him go, and he laid down. And we got in there closer, but uh, um, that was another six arrow goat that oh, took damn. six and three of those broadheads when we when we finally got to him and all that. They never even opened up, That's and I think good. it's just the the hair is so thick and all, and um, some of them didn't open up all the way. They were just all mashed or, or matted in there, and the guy had killed several deer with it. Um, so that, you know, of course we did get the goat. It was just a, a long day of, um, uh, chasing it down and, you know, <laughs> finally it'd get tired enough to lay down and we try to get in there and get on him again. But, uh, um, and at that point, Alaska said, no, mechanicals are not legal for, uh, I think it was brown and grizzly bears and mountain goats. Have they gotten um, better now or have you felt better absolutely. about them now? Yeah. Some of the good stuff that's now is nothing like those. And that's, and I think there was enough evidence there saying these things are, are very deadly. So, um, I'm, it's whatever you, whatever is your preference. And, you know, that's been a long time since I've been, you know, shooting a bow and all that. I did it a lot when I was down here, but I just don't have the time up there. So I'm not up on the, on the gear, but I do pay attention to what the guys bring. And, um, there is such a range and everybody does very well with what they have. We've not, other than those deals, we've not seen anybody have, you know, um, you know, mistakes or, or bad hits with the, with the arrow that, you know, that's why they lost their goat because they didn't, you know, the arrow didn't perform right or the broadhead didn't perform right. Gotcha. Cool. What else we got on there? We might as well click down. Um, We're already in an hour. That went by fast. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, the rest of a lot of this is, um, you know, just your regular gloves. One thing I noticed, some guys will bring these like Gore-Tex waterproof gloves and they kind of have a liner inside of them. So your hands sits in there. But when your hands are wet and you put them in that, you pull that glove off, that liner comes out of the fingers. And then you go and you try to stick it in there. You can never get (laughs) it back in. And it's just, you know, like putting on a pair of gloves that are too short. So... Randy was talking about that. Uh, it was a Sitka Gore-Tex glove. I think you heard me, but because it's sticky, and he's got fat ass hands. His fingers are <laughs> like sausages, and he was biting and reefing, and he was. He said he was cussing that glove so bad because he just couldn't get it back on his hand. Yep. I've had good luck. I mean, they're not they're not waterproof, but I use the mittens a lot because my hands get cold with the fingers that fold back. But right. I also. 
an, an, a nylon um, fleece type glove inside of a mitten, it works a lot better because this that slides right into the mitten, and then uh, you know I can slide that fleece glove on my hand super easy. But I got to be super careful because my fingers get so cold. So I was kind of curious your take on that or what you do. You know, usually you know guys bring whatever they want for gloves, but we give everybody a four dollar a pair set of Atlas gloves and they're the rubber palmed and rubber fingered with the cloth on the back. That's what I use for glass business to carry glass. Absolutely. You Um, you know, and they're not waterproof. They're going to be wet, but you can wring them out. But the thing is, is they've got a good grip. They grip your, they grip the brush well, they grip your axe well and all. I always have, you know, a nice warm pair of good gloves in the pack. So when you do get up there and you do have to sit, you get those wet things off, put on your dry ones and keep that going. But, you know, I've, I've not seen anything that the newer, more expensive stuff that is better f- suited for that. Um, you don't, your hands are going to be wet, you know, but, uh, um, and, that, and that's what I was taught. I should, I guess, whatever caveat that, uh, that's what I was talking about for glassing. I put the fleece oh, in sure. the mittens cause my hands get so cold. Even if I pull the mitten off for a minute, my hands freeze that fast. So if I pull them off to get in my pack, I keep that mitten on. And a lot of times I may have a wind blocker layer in there just because my hands get so cold. So if I'm screwing around with a spotter or whatever, I can get it back in that mitten. But I use those glass gloves. That's what we call them, glass gloves. Because in the glass business, that's what you have to have so you don't cut your hand off. And you're right. they're they're for, You know what? Actually, they have insulated ones now. Yeah, they do. And they're badass. I, I ordered them from Oregon Gloves. <laughs> I, I mean, for a fucking $6 glove, it's, you can't beat them. <laughs> they're just, they're so well suited for it. And then again, you you trash them or you do whatever, you know, you just throw them away and get another pair. But, um, you know, it's like going up and, and grabbing the devil's club and stuff. Um, they're, they very seldom will you get a devil's club thrown that will go through them, you know. I will say too that they're good at is, is, is when you, you don't think about it, what you said, gripping, pulling up your cell phone. I mean, when you're doing the the veggie belay, right? When you're oh, trying absolutely. to, they grab, they grip like a son of a bitch. So, yep. I mean, the other thing too is the ice axe, like you brought up. When you're, it only happened once on the goat hunt where I thought I was gonna die in Washington. But when I went down and then I I I didn't arrest because I was already sliding full length. Yeah. When I stuck the ice axe in, I mean, it's just, <laughs> and then I stopped right at the very end. That grip, it'll grab grab that thing. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it won't stop you if you if you let go of it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, it they work pretty damn good. And Luke Moffat, he's one of the guys he talks about it. He's up in where's he at? Just out of Anchorage, uh starts with a W, I think. Um Good Lord, it's just out of Anchorage. Um, Wasilla? Wasilla, yeah, okay. he's in Wasilla. Um, and that's, again, I would never carry those glass gloves here. Makes no sense. Right. But it doesn't rain here. And, I mean, not to, you know, you get pretty piss-poor advice from some people online, and, and I probably overdo it a little bit when I say overdo it. Like, I, I hate shit breaking, so my stuff may be slightly heavier than others, but you look like a stove. Frank carries an MSR reactor stove. You talked about, which is probably the most bomb-proof isobutane stove on the, well, it's not probably, by far the most durable. You carry like a whisper lighter. Yeah, typically. And I, I actually, I've got two, I'm going to bring one up with me and just leave it with you weight-wise. I've got some of those Primus, the Omnifuels. It's it's like a lighter, it's a titanium multi-fuel stove. Okay. And um, that's what I use for the same reason you're talking about from time to time. Um, but if you take four stoves, guaranteed two of those stoves will last years and two of them like that little soto i've already broken a couple of those but yep. they're, they're fucking light right i mean yeah 
I'm not going to die if I don't get to heat up my mountain house here, right? I'll just figure it out. And they're only like, I don't know, an ounce and a half or two ounces or something. But they got a life expectancy of an ant. They just don't yeah. last long. How long do your whisper lights last? Um, not as long as I would like. And I'll, most of that is just because we're, you know, we're not dunking them in salt water, but we're in this salt environment. And You get three, you know, four years out of them? Some of them we do, yeah. and some you get, you know, just one season. Again, it it rusty, comes, rusty and corrosion. Yeah, you know, they've got that that little wire that goes through the tube, and you know, that's the first you pull that out, and it's just a bunch of white powder comes out of it. I'll be interested. I may hook you up with the to try that titanium because it's not going to rust. It's all titanium. Oh yeah, no, that's um, definitely worth. You saw that one. I mean, you bring out. You're older than me, but we're old. <laughs> when I started, all we had was whisper lights, right? Yeah. And that's all you knew. And, and I mean, you never even used one, have you, other than mm -hmm. me? You had brought out the aluminum foil thing, right, yep. and the big shield around it, and you're pumping it, and you got gas all over you, and that's just what you had. Yep. Now, if you pull one of those out to a younger crowd, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody uses them anymore. Right, but, that's it. But you get, so we'll just flash back, back I had the, you got the one liters, the big ones, and then you have the 16 ounce, the different fuel canisters. Right. Dude, it's ghetto, right? So you've got that, and then I never put the normal cap on. I was the bad guy. I just left the normal pump yeah, on. Yeah, I, I, we do that too. Leave the normal pump on. It's full of, I mean, I run white gas. You can run kerosene or diesel or whatever in the multi-fuel stoves. You run it, you got to change out the pisser. So you get this long wire foldable stove out, and then you hook it to that can, right, at this mm -hmm. big tube, and you pump the shit out of it. And then you have a bonfire initially when you, at least I do, anyway. Oh, yeah. No, it's <laughs> the idea. It's got to heat that tube so it vaporizes the gas before it goes through the nozzle. So know? when you first start it, and then you have this huge fire, like you don't <laughs> want to start it. Some dipshit tried to start when in Hillberg caught the front of it on fire, right? Because yep. it shoots flames up. And then, like he said, it heats up, the pisser changes size, and it evaporates. But they last for, well, I never thought about the corrosion. Yeah. But they'd have whisper lights that would be 8, 10, 12. My buddy's got one 18 years old still using it. How many isobutane stoves, you know, last 18 years? Right. But they're maintenance heavy in the sense of that pisser gets plugged up. You're in there with this little thing jamming the shit out of it trying to get it unplugged they don't plug up as much with white gas i guess but no and that's why and, and like i said the research i did was you know that is the highest btu per weight and yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if that's you know accurate but you know it, we we get by we'll take a you know generally a 12 ounce yeah. up the mountain with us um and then have another couple back in camp you know just in case but it doesn't take long if you're just boiling a pot of water and you do got to use the aluminum shield because it does contain a lot of that heat that might just blow away yeah that you'll hear you, you're gonna have another payment fire you'll, you'll yeah. burn the world right by hour. well and that <laughs> as you were talking you know the difference you know you can always build a fire here yeah. i've never been anywhere in this state no matter how hard it's raining that you couldn't get under uh, and find stuff and get a fire going that option is not available to you where we're at. You know, you can you can pack five gallons of kerosene up the mountain and, you Ain't know, when going. it's done burning, your wood is still going to smolder to nothing. So, yeah, that is that is a real determining factor. You just, you can't, you do not count on the fact that if you get stuck and you can't make it back to camp, we'll just build this fire and hunker down. Well, I'll it's not going to happen. So I don't forget, I'll hook you up with the Primus guy. Um, 
and because uh, they have an insane guide and outfitter pricing. That that titanium, oh, that good. it's fucking light because um, it's titanium. Yep. So it's super light. But Paul and I ran those for a while right before you and I started hanging out, and uh, you know, because I was taking them on. I thought, you know, I'm gonna do. I haven't used these in so long. I'm gonna just run the, you know, the, run it through the ringer on these backpack hunts. Figure out like, okay, I'm never gonna have halfies anymore. The half empty isobutanes. I'm not right. gonna have to mess with that. And that lasted like a season. And I'm like, I'm going back to isobutane. <laughs> this shit sucks. Because the other thing too, when you're cold, you're gonna get, no matter what. For me, I'm always gonna get some fuel on my fingers. Yep. That sucks in the morning. That's really bad on the fingers. So. But yeah, you've never used one at all. I haven't messed with them. No, I've seen you use yours, but no. Yeah, once you use it, you'll go back to not using it again. <laughs> but they do last a long time. But sorry, I'll get off the the. I was going through the when I worked on the trail crew the first time in high school or whatever. That's what they issued us was whisper lights, and that smell still oh, yeah. brings me back to that days when I was a teenager. You know, running around in the wilderness. And the pain in the ass of freezing my balls off with my hands, getting fuel on them. But oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What else you got on there? Um, you know, it's kind of the rest is you know your typical stuff. Uh, your binoculars, uh, um, a water bottle, of course, a blister kit. We have first aid kits. Um, you know, we always have a satellite phone with us. You know, now you know we have a lot of guys that bring their own satellite phones, and um, quite frankly, a lot of the places we're hunting goats, we have cell coverage now. So, you know, that's kind of nice. Everybody's staying in touch. Um, the one thing that we do recommend is um, chest waders, and it's like a, on a goat hunt, but quite often. You know, we're traveling up these river bottoms, you know, you want to go, you know, three or four miles up a valley. And with a brush, you know, your your best traveling is either right down there in the river or crossing back and forth and staying on the bars and staying out of the the, the brush. And so you, you put your hiking boots in your pack. And then once you get to where you're going to take off out of there, we just leave the waders hanging in a tree and then climb up the mountain. And then when you get back to town, we've got, you know, really good uh, salmon fishing right there. The silvers are in crazy in September, so... Some guys have a pair of waders to go salmon fishing afterwards. Dang. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a fun trip. No, that's good. What about like headlamps, stuff like that? Do you guys suggest everybody bring up a headlamp, the normal stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and now the LED stuff, they, they last so much longer with uh, on battery power. But, yeah, you want to have that. Um, we try like crazy never to be stuck out you know we try to get back to camp and um but there are times you know you're going to have a headlamp and it, you know the headlamp's going to get you you're not going to walk off a cliff wearing a headlamp but if you don't know where you're at and you don't know how to get back to to the camp you know it doesn't you can't see out there at you know 50 yards or 100 yards where the landmark that you know to to get back on the trail to get back to your camp is and so um that was a little bit of a digression. But anyway, headlamps are really important. Most important is make sure you get back to camp before it gets dark. Yeah, I like the headlamp because it helps me from getting cliffed out quite quicker. So I don't need to travel that extra 100 yards to found out I'm screwed. So I can at least stop ahead of time before I get cliffed out. There's always nice for that. The uh, I think we're carrying, what, 300 lumen candle power or whatever, 300 lumen headlamps. I think it's about as much, much as you can get for an averagely weighted headlamp. Oh, very good. What yeah. what batteries? Oh, we got several. That one I have has the CR one two threes. But when I travel, 
I don't use those because no one carries the damn right. thing. So I just triple A's is what they yep. carry. Three triple A's. Yep. I just got that Petzl remix or the Princeton Tech remix. Not throw out a plug for Princeton Tech. They're probably anti-hunting. <laughs> Pretty badass headlamp, you know. And we got a pile. Of, I mean, again, Frank sticks to the same thing. I got forty headlamps. He's got one. But um, <laughs> I got yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I've had the same black diamond forever. But yep. I, I'm always trying to screw around in that new. I think that might be the one I don't switch from. It uh, doesn't have the battery pack in the back. I use those a lot for yep. being brighter. But uh, it's 300 lumens. I've been using it a shit ton just at the house to see, you know, whatever brightness and how quick the battery dies and everything. I think I'm just going to run it under the sink for a while and see how it does for, yep. you know, water or whatever. And then we use it, you know, this summer and spring for we do a lot of backpack fishing. And that's how we'll. Oh, yeah. We figure out what sucks quick when we, you know, anything. Well, Frank never changes, but I'll figure out what sucks quick. Um, <laughs> you know, just backpack fishing. And I will say, more than most often, I go back to what I started with. Um, yep. You know, you go the newest, latest, greatest, whatever. It's a lie. Most of the time, it's not. It may have cut weight, but then you're sacrificing something else, generally durability. Yep. Um, you know, it may be more efficient or whatever, but, uh, you know, there may, may be, you know, there's going to be some other issue with that. And a lot of times, and I'm sure you find it out way more than anyone else, if you, um, oh, I don't know, you find something that will last three seasons compared to one, and what lasts three seasons may be cheaper than what lasts one. For um, sure. So, yeah, and it, it's a different world like clay up, up there in the NWT because you're so remote for so long. Yep. Some of the gear those guys run is totally different than what you would think because they need to last forever um oh, absolutely a fucking nail up there is worth a hundred dollars right I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's just nothing there so but what other anything else you want to add as far as that goes like major failures you see guys traveling like how they pack their stuff anything like that or well i i've seen a lot of guys that come up and um, they pull all of their stuff out and everything is in its own little dry sack maybe even as you know, even the Ziploc bag, but it's all segregated and labeled. And you tell they just spend a lot of time on that. Um, but that time that they spent getting all that gear and figured out this time they probably should have spent in the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doing it. And so it's like, I think some guys find satisfaction in, you know, being really gear intensive and, um, it is important, but you know, you just find good stuff that works. The, the two biggest things that will affect your hunt are your physical physical condition and your ability to shoot, whether it's a bow or a rifle, but physical condition is number one. And that speaks volumes above all the gear and all the gadgets that you might think you want to bring up and all that. And that's free, everyone. Absolutely. I think I pissed off a bunch of people in my seminar. I said common sense, physical fitness, and uh, what was the other one? Hard work, don't weigh anything, and they're free. Yeah. And I think I pissed a bunch of people off by saying that. <laughs> but uh, how many people do you have lay up on you on the way up the mountain that just say, F it? Um, we've never had anybody do that. Yeah. But we have definitely had to adjust our hunts because <laughs> of it. And, you know, I don't ask for, you know, photos or a resume or whatever. I try to just talk to the guys and explain this. But, you know, you get a, a handle on, well, what can you do and how much you weigh you get, you know, most of the time they, they tell you what their dimensions are. But, um, and I've already sort of planned, well, we're going to put so-and-so with this guy. And this is a little tougher, but he's, you know, does this and that. And then these guys show up and I'm like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what your definition of, of, 
in shape is and what, you know, ours is, is different. And so con- I'm try- constantly trying to, well, let's switch this up. And I literally have thought about it. I want to try to add one more day onto these hunts. So we spend two days in town when you get there and you get there in town and everybody puts their pack together and then we take off up the trail. Yeah. And then at that point, I can figure, well, he's going to go with so-and-so up here uh, because that would be easier. It's, I don't know, in a practical sense, it's not that, uh, I guess not that feasible, but, um, yeah, you never know what, until they show up. It's like meeting a chick on Tinder. It just doesn't work. You don't look like the picture. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Remember that accountant dude in the gym that, uh, he had went and climbed up, uh, what's the, um, the tall, uh. Good Lord, uh, Mount Fuji. I think he climbed up Fuji or maybe something else anyway. And he was talking about you're supposed to list your fitness and, you know, whatever. Everybody's supposed to be able to do a certain amount of things. He said half the bus was fat. Like, none of them yeah. made it. Like, he was like, Jesus, you knew you had to climb this thing. And, he, you know, he, like, literally they're having to leave guides with all these fat fuckers on the trail because they lied on their little yep. dealio. And on that note, send Frank to the hard spot. You can see me the easy spot. No, I'm just okay. kidding. We, I, you, you get so desensitized to certain. Everybody's crisis level is different, right? So, right. You do this enough, your crisis level really is maybe non-existent. I, my mm-hmm. crisis level got hit on that, and it was while we're truck hunting. Six days of twenty-eight to thirty-two degree rain and snow. I just hit my limit of like, I didn't quit. I mean, we shot, but I was like, yeah, this isn't fun anymore. Right. Yeah, I'm just not, I'm not digging this. And it would get down below into the 20s and it'd get up to the 40s. It was hypothermic weather. Right. And it just never stopped ever. And that was for me was like, yeah, it wasn't like a go home thing, but it was like the, the fun level is gone. We need to shoot whatever the fuck comes out. I'm yeah, done. That's, that is what it comes down to. And, and you hate to see that, you know, um, when the guy wants to shoot something just to end the misery that his hunt has become and doesn't care. It's like, I don't care if it's a nanny. Well, we do, you know, we're not going to let you <laughs> shoot a nanny or a kid, but you know, um, and the other thing is slow and steady wins the race. You know, nobody is in a race up the mountain and we don't have guys with ego, ego problems and trying to prove to you just how tough they are. You know, you go as fast as the, as the slowest guy in the group and that's just it. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, I did hit that in in BC with that weather. Uh, uh, a four a little forky spike moose came out, and I'm like, hey, it's got a lot of. I I went on that hunt. I wanted to get the meat. You know, we brought trailers right. up, and I'm like, if that thing comes closer. I'm gonna probably shoot it. And uh, he was laughing, ha, ha, ha. and I'm like, yeah, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I want to get to Alberta and go hunt deer. This sucks. And he was like, will you shoot that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll shoot it. That's still. 600 pounds of meat. I'll oh, shoot the sure. shit out of that. And uh, Brian leaned over. He's like, it will be like stopping an ocean wave. He is not kidding. You better pray the bigger bull comes out because I was done. Like, I did not want to be wet another day. And I wanted to get to Alberta and shoot a mule deer. So I definitely hit that level of I'll shoot whatever the hell comes out because I just, and it's, if Alberta wasn't in front of me, I probably would have been fine. But knowing there was 180 inch mule deer screaming my name, that was not helping at all. I was wanting to get to Alberta. But you see guys hit that, like you say, where it could be day one, 
just getting to camp. And I imagine you guys got to deal with that a lot. Yeah. And you can beat yourself mentally before it even gets started. Yeah. You know, that's it. A lot of, they get, you know, start having some apprehension and it's like, don't think about it and don't think about, you know, being up there. Think about the next 50 feet you got to walk and, you know, you will ease into a, a, a pace and, and make it happen. But, you know, I've seen guys that probably had the physical capabilities of doing something, but, you know, they're scared and nervous and they mentally, you know, uh, beat themselves. They, you know, like I say, we don't just, well, you ain't going to make it, let's give up. Yeah. You know, well, okay, well, let's go figure this out. But, you know, you, you have to change in the game, but, uh, Yeah. Uh, physical toughness needs to be there too, but you know, gotta have your mental toughness at the same time. Don't forget that, Frank. <laughs> just Keep hammering. Frank's one of the toughest guys I know. He just doesn't say much, but you almost so. Side story, totally off the talk about SAR beacons, search and rescue beacons. Zach Griffith, like I don't know what the total story was, but he got dehydrated and scarred up his elbow or something happened, and he hit this SAR beacon. So everybody's poking fun of him. And so Frank got full-on hypoxia. Uh, his lungs filled up with liquid, and he was so scared of us making fun of him, the fucker hiked out without hitting the beacon. Tell him a story, Frank. <laughs> yeah, hiked out like seven miles or something like that in the middle of the night. Where was this at? I was in the high country here in Colorado, 12, 13,000 feet or so. Yeah. But I think you probably got that because you went full on Donkey Kong on the way in and didn't really. Well, that's what we talked about. We'll have that podcast out here soon. We had a, a doctor come in. Um, she specializes in uh, respiratory stuff. And she basically said, if you go, you know, you go push yourself too hard in a couple of days, if you're still in that in that, that climate or whatever, that altitude, then you'll get that high, high altitude pulmonary edema where your lungs fill up with the, with the fluid and stuff. So, yeah, I hiked out at like. I don't know, midnight or something. It took me like nine hours to get back to my truck. But you, you basically figured you'd go until you're about to die, then you'd hit the button. Yeah, crazy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> then they'd know where to find the body. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Well, we, you know, I make it. So I'm making well, I just kind of figured that that night it was like r- really dark and cloudy. I'm like, well, I don't really think someone's gonna come in here and get me until morning anyway. So. Yeah. Well, uh, we that when we hiked in and I got. Not the nearly the same thing. I got hot flashes like a forty-five-year-old lady, but I, I started shaking uncontrollably mm-hmm. and, and sweating, and I we just pushed ourselves. It was hot when we went in, and you push yourself to. And we weren't racing up the mountain. Frank and I never do that. In fact, we make fun of each other because you go faster and take more breaks. I go slower and take less. We right. end up about even anyway. But we were going up. Remember how bad I was sweating? It was straight up. We didn't have a whole lot of water, too. The water was kind of shit down this creek, muddy and nasty, and we were a little dehydrated. Yeah, and I just, I had, uh, I just started, Frank, I was like, Frank, I don't feel very good. And he's like, don't you die on me, you know, making jokes. And I was shaking like a cat shitting choker chain. I couldn't figure it out and sweated all night long, and I was fine. I guess I was all right the next day, but that was 100% from pushing it too not like i said we weren't racing just pushing it too hard and probably could have taken a little more time getting in we we're trying to kill an elk and uh so i don't this has nothing to do with anything other than i can imagine you probably do you get heroes every now and then or do you pretty much always get guys that are pretty cool or do you get guys trying to race up the mountain sometimes oh sometimes you do but uh, you know very seldom yeah and you know and it, it it's tough most guys no matter how fit you are very few people are used to the terrain yeah. you know and so um 
we're not, my guys are, we're not all marathon athletes or whatever, but they're tough, but they're used to it. And, you know, they know how to go and you can, uh, a fit guy is probably not going to outdo them because they've been used to carrying that pack for, you know, 10 years and know how to walk in their cold flush boots. And, you know, it's just a more, it's just a matter of knowing what it is. But, you know, we, we like the guy that you turn around and he's pretty much right there behind you. But if he's not, you know, we, we're conscious of that, you know, we don't, we don't push him, you know, shoot, everybody's got to get up there and, and quite often, you know, halfway up, they kind of hit their second wind once they kind of realize, well, you know, maybe this isn't as bad as I anticipated it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Frankie, it'll be first time, Frank's second goat hunt you've been on, uh, first one you got to shoot. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. We got to make sure mine doesn't fall off a cliff because that's what happened last time. Oh, yeah. a couple thousand feet. Wasn't good. <laughs> no. And again, it's, it's just tough. It depends where they're at and to, and, and that is one thing about the bow. It doesn't, you know, you don't have the advantage of breaking a shoulder and, you know, kind of physically anchoring that thing. But when that arrow slices in the right spot, those things die so incredibly fast, as you know, um, they don't have time to get to a cliff. I really screwed up. I should either gut shot mine or high shoulder shot it. Um, I shoot enough poundage, a high shoulder shot, and, and momentum. I've high shoulder shot a lot of animals, and they'll drop like a gun, believe it or not. Um, right. I pinwheeled it. Bad move. Um, you know, ran 35 yards. And if I would have gut shot it, I probably would have run up and bedded down. If I would have high shoulder shot it, instead I pinwheeled it and... It, uh, I think it started off about nine and three quarter horns, and I think oh, it was shoot. six by two by the time <laughs> yeah. I got back. It, uh, it literally, both eyeballs um, popped out. Uh, it, uh, it literally fell 2,000 feet. Oh, my God. It oh, tasted man. good, Looks though. Looks like the thing was in a fist fight. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Where was this at? BC. Hey, you see yeah. That? Oh, wow. Yeah. It was crazy. It's ah. good goat, though. And you know what? The guy... Roger, same guy with me on the cat. He was worried about it, and I'm like the best guy for that to happen to because I'm not a trophy dude. I just was in it for the adventure, and it was cool, right? But if I have the choice again, I probably would have made some different decisions. Right. <laughs> but and I'd been on enough goat hunts to we didn't shoot it on the ledge because we knew it'd fall off, and it came out, and it was on another ledge, and we waited, and then it circled around, and there was a plateau where if he died within 25 yards or so or ran up, we were fine. He ran straight out. And he happened to die in the ten yards. He'd fall, right. and that's just where he where he happened to fall. So yep. I mean, we were cognizant of it. We we thought thought about it, but it didn't pan out for me. <laughs> Tasted good though. It was yeah. nice and tenderized. <laughs> but you know, at that point, what are you going to do? Back off on your stock and oh, let's circle around and maybe well, he'll be in a better spot tomorrow. You know, you you invested a lot of time and energy to get there, and uh, I probably would have shot him at eighty. Um, yeah. honestly, yeah, I mean, I probably would have waited for him to get, look, I was so worried about shooting something at great distance and it really getting in cliffs, we couldn't get it and I can shoot well enough, but I was worried about it and I probably would have waited for it to cross that and poked it at 80 and, and, uh, you know, you look back and you're like, ah, whatever, but it was one of the most epic hunts and stocks you could have, it was planted, like oh, yeah. throwing boulders at it, wouldn't move and. I'm holding on to his feet and his waist, leaning over to try to find it in the cliffs. I mean, it's just right. a cool, cool hunt. I mean, hopefully we get one like that with, I mean, hopefully we get one on flat ground where it dies out in a grassy <laughs> field, but yep. those are, goats are just fun because they, they do, once they plant, they, they are hard to get them to move and you know, you can, in my experience anyway, it's easier to get on them once they bed down. Oh, for sure. Look, when you, if you get on one, Frank, you'll see when, you know how dogs pant or mule deer when they're bedded? I don't know if it's probably cooler, but. When you get on a hot day and you get above one, you think they're having a heart attack. I mean, they're just, oh, yeah. 
they're doing that, and it's yep. like, Jesus, what's wrong? They're just so freaking hot. Yeah, wearing a fur jacket in the middle and of September. The bugs, their ears are just flapping like crazy, yeah. trying to keep those black flies out of their eyes and stuff. So, yeah, they live a miserable existence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, on that note, man, I appreciate you coming on again and look forward to this. It's going to be going to be fun and can't thank you enough for yeah, everything. Thank you. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I'm getting excited about September myself. Yeah, no, I'm sure you are. I, I Did you, you got, actually on that note, do you have any openings left for people listening in? Um, what, I, I may have, I may have one rifle hunt left and probably one archery hunt. Um, your guys' slot is full, uh, but yeah, so I think I do have one archery hunt and we kind of held that end of our season for the, I put my archers in first of the season and rifle hunters in the back. We've got areas that if our good areas get shut down, the quotas get filled, um, we always have a place to hunt goats, but a couple of them are, they are not archery conducive at all, uh, but plenty doable with a rifle. Gotcha. Cool. Well, uh, let's Lonesome Dove Outfitters on uh, social media, on Instagram, and then uh, what's your email? I can't remember. It's not what I oh, thought it would be. Um, my webpage is um, idohuntak.com, and my email is just dennis at idohuntak.com. Cool, cool. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on again. Okay, thank you guys. Thanks.